Well, hey, friends. Um, this past Monday night, as I was driving home to Minneapolis, where I live, I was about halfway home, and I got this call from my sister. And now my sister doesn't call me that often, and it was pretty late at night, so I was thrown off, and I picked it up, and, and this is what she said. She said, I'm stuck on the side of a highway. I don't know what happened. I don't know what's wrong. The car made a weird noise, and now it won't move. Can you please come and help me? And so being the awesome servant-hearted brother that I am, I headed back out towards Excelsior, way further west than I was. And, and so when I got there, I saw that there was already a police officer there. And so I get out my car, and I, I walk over to them. And I kind of did the, the little dad stance. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like the crossed arms, feet spread. I wanted to look like I knew what I was doing. I wanted to look like, all right, I got this under control. I'm going to get this all fixed up. Officer, you're good. Big brother to the rescue. But as I looked around at this car... I realized really quickly that something was so broken and so out of order that no amount of my knowledge or my experience could get it back to how it was supposed to be. What I was looking at was a car whose two front wheels were both pointed in opposite directions. It's not a good look. It's not good. Something was significantly broken about this car. And trust me, when I say I have had a long line of bad luck with cars. I didn't even mention that the car she was driving still technically belongs to me. Uh, I've had five years of driving, three cars, two accidents I had to pay for, and one of those cars actually completely broke down. And so, friends, I have had a long line of bad luck with cars. But, you know, my sister's upset. She's, She's a little bit um, emotional and some, I give her a hug. And I'm like, Lauren, don't worry about it. Like, it's, it's just a car. It's fine. This stuff happens. And immediately after that, I walk over to this wheel and I give it a nice hard kick and I whisper under my breath, I hate cars. Like friends, if there is one thing that I have in this life that I wish could always be new, it would be cars. Something y'all will learn as you get into driving for some of you, and you might already know this, but cars are a depreciating asset. What that means is that cars are constantly losing value over time. They constantly get more and more susceptible to damage and, and breaking down, and, and what you put into it will like never be returned to you. Um, it's like a pit that swallows your resources, sometimes your time, and if you have a track record like me, sometimes your mental stability goes with it too. But no matter how new the car is, Like, I could buy a new car tomorrow, and it's still running out of time. But what do car problems have to do with what we're talking about tonight? You see, I think that the same idea, this idea that something is not the way that it's supposed to be, and the realization that our solutions always wind up being temporary, I think that actually applies to just about everything in our lives. We're not satisfied because even the new things become old. I got food poisoning on our staff retreat a couple weeks ago, and I don't think that my stomach is quite where it's supposed to be quite yet. But I know at some point, all right, I'm going to get healed from this. This will be resolved. Yet even still, my body is still a depreciating asset. My body is continually getting more and more susceptible to breaking down as I get older. 
Maybe for you, it's these new friendships that were at one point a big and exciting part of your life for a season, but they've now become old friendships that are more complicated and drama pops up out of nowhere. And so now what you're putting into that relationship is not getting you the results that you wanted or the response that you wanted. And sometimes we just want that new relationship. We want that new spark and it winds up all the same. Maybe right now it's just your soul. Friends, maybe you right now you feel the weight of everything around you pressing in. Like school's ending. Some of you are graduating. People's opinions are everywhere. Expectations to perform are super high. Sports are busy. Family issues are real. And you relate to that car I mentioned at the beginning because you feel like something's about to break. And, and you won't be able to go on anymore until everything is back to the way it was supposed to be. Maybe you're in a season where you feel disconnected from God. You're not sure if you really have a relationship. You might be consumed by doubt and you don't even know what you believe in this season that you're in. And if that's you, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that's actually most of us. I want you to hear that there is good news. The good news is that there is something new that is coming. This new is not, like, is not like a new car or even a new friendship or anything that starts as new and then becomes old. This newness that I'm talking about tonight is not temporary, but it is permanent. And here's why I think we need this tonight. We need a vision of the new that is to come to get us through the here and now that we are in. Friends, we need a vision of the new to give us hope in the now. We're talking about when God will make all things new. So for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about the story of everything, which is ultimately just God's story. And more specifically, we've covered the four main movements of something called, or the four movements of something called the meta-narrative of scripture. Next high school, meta-narrative, just a big, fancy, nerdy word for like overarching story. In the first week, Zane talked about the first two movements of the meta-narrative, which were creation and fall. I uh, haven't heard the message. I was gone that week, but I heard he talked about aliens. Am I correct? Yes? Uh, I don't know where he was going with that, but it was Zane Black, so I'm sure it was incredible. Um, I, you know, Breaking down cars isn't as cool, but that's fine. Um, last week, I talked about the third movement of the meta-narrative, which is redemption. And redemption is like this climactic moment where God became flesh, and he went to the cross as the hero of the story, and he sacrificed his life to make everything right in the world, to get everything back to the way it was supposed to be, and all of that was made possible because he actually walked out of the grave fully alive, and that's exactly where we're going to pick up tonight. See, in this fourth movement, it's called restoration. We see in restoration that Jesus did not die on a cross and then resurrect three days later just so that we could keep living in this broken world with this hypothetical hope that everything will get slightly better someday. No. Right now, we are living in that third movement of the story. We're living in the movement of redemption. God is still redeeming and he's saving and he's setting people free from sin and death. But yet one day we know that there will be an end to this part 
of the story. And I want you to hear this tonight. The end of God's story is not an end, but a new beginning. The end of God's story is not an end, but it is a new beginning. Like a happy, whoa, words. A happily ever after, before the end credit scene. Like we know that that end is not truly the end, but a new beginning to a beautiful forever. And what this means is that the most exciting and joyful and pleasurable part of your life is ahead of you if you are in Christ and if you've trusted in Jesus. Things that are true today, things that are true like feelings of anxiety, feelings of sadness and isolation and mistrust, like those things will be all become untrue one day. Those things that are true right now, that exist and are real, will all become untrue on that day of restoration. And untrue does not mean that those things cease to have been true, that they were never true, but rather it means that because of Jesus, God can and will renew the condition of his creation. God will like unwind everything that Satan twisted and distorted through sin and evil. And it'll make anything that has come out of that untrue in his new creation. He will fully remove the disease that has been destroying and depreciating our world since the beginning. And this is what we call restoration. The end of God's story, restoration, is not an end but a brand new beginning. So we've been hanging out in the first couple pages of our Bibles this series. But actually tonight, we're going to hop to the last few pages. Uh, Go ahead, open up to Revelation chapter 21. I want to remind you as you turn there that every single page, and there's a lot of them, in between the first couple pages that we were in the last two weeks and these pages are all about the same exact story. They're all covering different timelines, written by different people, different conflicts, so many different backgrounds, but they're all pointing to God and his story. And tonight we'll read about what this new beginning will look like and ultimately what it will mean for us as we see it unfold. Um, This passage, Revelation 21, or Revelation in general, is a vision that was given to Jesus by the Apostle given by Jesus to the Apostle John about the things that are to come when God restores the world. So go there, Revelation 21, a vision from Jesus to John. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be known more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
I want you guys to see the beauty of how consistent God's story is. The pattern in which God brought redemption is reflected in every single part of his story. Christ died and was resurrected. We talked about it last week. Meaning death brought forth life. And that's the pattern that we see here again and again. In verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now this new heaven and this new earth, it does not mean that it is a completely different heaven and earth, that it is starting from scratch and, and recreating out of nothing like he did in the first place. Like it does not mean that this new creation will be unidentifiable or unrecognizable to the world that we live in now. It's not a total restart. New heaven and new earth simply means that God will restore everything to the way it is supposed to be. Friends, he will unwind everything that was twisted and this new earth is better because it is permanent. It will not pass away, it says. And then in verse two, it says this, I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Two weeks ago, um, we started this whole story of everything with a wedding. Like we saw in Genesis 1 and 2, where God created man and woman, and they came together in perfect unity with each other and with God. And then here, we see that this story of everything also ends in the same way, with a wedding. Verse 2, verse 2 is about the church, believers in Christ. We are the bride, and God tells us that he is preparing us for this day where we will stand before Christ full of glory and joy like a bride on her wedding day. And we too will be completely made new. And just like the new earth, we will not have this new identity or some completely new person, but those who trust in Christ will actually receive resurrected bodies of our own. And just like the new heaven and the new earth, these bodies will not pass away. Let me tell you, I hope that that wedding image like does something in your heart. If you haven't been to a wedding, um, I, I don't know, I guess I would recommend that you go to like a Christian college because you'll get one in like the next year. Um, friends, weddings are like the coolest thing that I think we can do on this earth. At least, at least weddings that are about Jesus. Because it is a glimpse of what our future is with God. Now, I'm like the guy who gets profusely sweaty on the dance floor, so I'm like really hoping that my resurrection body uh, won't do that because I'm gonna get crazy up there. But like, friends, everything will be the way it's supposed to be. Everything will be it's the, the way that it's supposed to be. What was once true of this broken world will become untrue. And right here in these next four verses is where I think the real wonder of this passage is found. These next four verses, because the future reality of God's restoration matters for you today, next high school student. We need a vision of the new to give us a hope in the now. And in verse three, I see that our first vision of the new is this. It says, then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling 
is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Friends, at the end of God's story, the feeling of separation will become untrue. That's my first point tonight. The verse says, then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will be with them and he will be their God. We know that in God's original creation that his intention was to dwell with his people. When, it, when sin entered and infested the world that God inhabited, we were separated from him. Last week we read that humanity was essentially kicked out of Eden and sent away from the presence of God. And that's because God is holy and he cannot dwell in the presence of sin. But to counter that statement, I would say that where God dwells is the presence of everything that is good. Why is it so important that one day we will once again be dwelling with and walking with God in a personal and tangible way on this new earth? Because a world full of God and free of sin is a world that is overflowing in goodness and joy and glory and life and love and any other good thing that there is. Because every good and perfect thing is God's thing. And if God is not present, there is no good thing. So Danny Freed and I were talking about this verse, and I think he said something that's really insightful for us. He said, God has always been where we are, but we have not always been where he is. See, God has always been where we are, but we have not always been where he is. But we know that God is ultimately everywhere. God is omnipresent. Big word. It means he's everywhere all the time. And we know that because of the resurrection of Jesus, those who trust in him can have that personal separation between God and man removed. And so now it's personal. Like we can have access to God because our sin has been paid for and we do not have to wait for some future day for that to be true. We also know that those who trust in Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit. Who is God? And so God is dwelling in us and yet cannot dwell with sin. That boggles my mind. Um, but I think the point here in Revelation 21.3 is that one day the original intention of creation will be restored. We will be in the presence of God so much so that it says we will not need the sun because his glory will be our light. Like this is such a unique and renewed depth to the presence of God that we ultimately do not see right now. Like we know God is here and we know God is within us, but we do not see this extent of his presence. But yet our vision and our hope is that we know one day we will be where he is. God is not, God has always been where we are, but we have not always been where he is, and one day we will. And the feelings or those experiences of separation that come into our hearts way too often, those things will become untrue on that day. You see, I'm sure many of us, including myself, we have many days where we struggle to really feel like we are connected to God. And those feelings do not define what is true. You see, God is present and God is abiding in us for those who trust in Christ. 
But man, on this side of eternity, it can be really, really hard to believe it and experience it sometimes. So often for me, when I become distracted by the things of this world, when it seems like nothing is the way that it's supposed to be, it can be really hard for me to feel like I'm connected to God. It can be really easy to feel this separation from my father. And the other night I was like just sitting on the floor with one of my friends and we were talking about what is the one thing that you are most looking forward to when you get face to face with Jesus. And I just told them, I'm really looking forward to being embraced and being told how much he loves me. And I told them, man, I can't wait for him to point out all the ways in my life that he showed up, even if I didn't see it or even if I didn't feel it. And I told them, man, I can't wait to experience what it is like for the first time ever in my life to be truly free from the feelings of separation from a father. Something that has so deeply marked my life will be completely made untrue when God once again dwells with us personally on the new earth. Like those feelings of separation will not even be possible for us. And friends, I hope that that would get you excited. You see, 1 Peter 1, it says this, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's really good. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Friends, catch a vision for when all things are made new. If you can have inexpressible joy today because of Jesus, imagine when you stand before him and all of those feelings of separation. Hello. Siri wanted to be part of it. Um, those feelings of separation become fully untrue in Christ. And I would ask you this, friends. Are you eager to spend time with God today? Are you eager to spend time with God today? Because you can meet with him in the here and now while you hope and look forward to the new. Let that impact how you view your time with him. He is willing to meet with you. You don't have to wait. Friends, the perfect God who created everything that we've talked about wants to meet with you in an imperfect world. 
He's not far off. You don't have to live into those feelings of being separated from him. And friends, I pray that that would mean something to you. That you do not have to live into those feelings. My second point tonight is that at the end of God's story, the feeling of sadness becomes untrue. Check out verse 4. It says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Now, this is the verse that I turn to when I need hope for the new, when I feel stuck in the now. Friends, you need to, you need to memorize this passage. You need to write this on your heart. You don't need me to tell you once again, how broken this world is, but you do need to hear that God in his restoration will so completely heal everything that sadness itself becomes untrue. Not like sadness never existed or wasn't a real part of life, but that it is in that moment not even possible. It can be really easy to get overwhelmed in the details of our mind about what we think eternity will be like. Um, I'm sure all of us have some perception of what that looks like. Much of it is wrong and, and more of it is incomplete. But this right here is a critical part of what it will look like. This compassionate father finally wiping away our every tear. And then what it will feel like. Our hearts full of nothing but joy in the presence of God. There's another verse that speaks really well to this. It's called, it's Psalm 1611. Psalm 1611, which says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Friends, I just think we need to get a vision for what fullness of joy in God's presence means for us. I think it's far more about who God is than it is about what we get from him. That, that passage in 1 Peter I read earlier, it speaks about an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And friends, first and foremost, I think that our inheritance is God himself because he is the definition of imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And if in God's presence is the fullness of joy, then I would hope that we would find joy when we spend time with him in the here and now. And is that true for you? When you go to spend time with Jesus, do you find joy? I'm not saying like sitting with Jesus and spending time with him will feel good all the time. Our feelings are often unreliable, but despite them, you can still have a glimpse of the joy that is awaiting us. Because in his presence, there is joy. My girlfriend sent me this quote yesterday. Uh, she's, she's the best. Um, and I told her that I would steal it. I told her that I would steal it, uh, so I hope this encourages you. I think it's on the screen. Check this out, guys. This side of eternity is our only chance to worship Jesus through tears, pain, and suffering. This side of eternity is our only chance to actively choose to worship Jesus. In heaven, we will have all tears wiped away and we will freely see the beauty of Jesus so we will naturally worship him. 
What a gift it is to be able to choose Jesus even when all we can feel is pain. Friends, I think that choosing Jesus in this world, choosing to sit with Jesus in this world, where we are right now, is choosing the joy of another world. Like if, if in God's presence is fullness of joy, and we choose to sit in Jesus' presence, then we are choosing the joy of eternity right here and right now. And so with that, my next question for you, friends, is will you choose to worship Jesus through your tears, knowing in full confidence that he will wipe them away one day? What if we worshiped like that? I'm not just talking about musical worship. I'm talking about, like, what if we lived a response? What if our whole life was a response to who Jesus is and what he's done all while living in the midst of a broken world? An imperfect group of people worshiping a perfect God out of our love for him and not because we have to. Like my prayer is that we would be so consumed in our love for God that all we can do is worship Jesus. And one day we will worship God because we will have no other response. But like that quote said, what a gift it is that we can choose to worship Jesus in our pain and in this world. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 17, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Listen to that. Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Catch that vision for the new that is coming and let it stir your heart for what is happening right now. You can choose to worship Jesus in whatever the heck's going on right now. Those light and momentary afflictions producing us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. My last point is that at the end of God's story, the feelings of suspicion become untrue. Go ahead and read verses five and six with me. Five and six say, Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Friends, when God makes everything new, when he makes all of these broken things untrue about our lives and he shows us what's really true, there will be no doubt about what he has said. There will be no doubt about the things that he's told us, that he's revealed about himself. You see, this world that we live in, it gives us so many reasons to doubt God and, and what he says. And, you know, it's been the same flaw since the beginning in, in the garden. Twisting the things he says. But when he restores 
the world and when all of creation stands before him, then there will be a full assurance that he is exactly who he says he is. And any doubt or suspicion that has once existed in history will, will become untrue on that day as we see God face to face. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. That's Revelation 1-7. That's the beginning of this revelation. Every eye will see him. Don't miss him today. Next high school, do not miss Jesus today. Do you see him? Do you see Jesus clearly tonight? Would you trust in him so that you can have real hope for the new that God is going to bring? Because he'll start with you. And so if you see Jesus clearly right now, ask him to start with you because he will make you new and one day he will make everything new. Feelings of separation, sadness, suspicion all become untrue at the end of God's story. Friends, we need a vision for that. That has to be our hope in the now. So many of our favorite stories, they have this happily ever after moment when the bride and the groom or, or whoever uh, the couple is in the story, they come together and everything turns out how it's supposed to be. And it's always at the end of the story, but we know it's not really the end but a new, beautiful beginning. And the same is true for God's story. If you guys remember, if you go way back to September, we started this year by preaching about Revelation 19, just two chapters before, and it talks about the wedding feast of the Lamb. So we saw that on that day, there will be a grand celebration and a grand conclusion to the story that God has been writing in all of creation, but we also know that that's not the end. See, in this passage, God refers to us as his bride. And that means that Christ is our groom. He is the one that we will spend forever, happily ever after with. He is our groom. And just quickly, I want you to be reminded of what that means for you. He calls us his bride because he is our groom. And that means that he has given up his life for us sacrificially. Christ is our groom, which means he removes all of our shame. He is protecting us and purifying us and preparing us for the glory of that day when we will be with him forever. He has nothing but grace to cover those who trust in him. He's omnipresent. Big word, that means he's always present. He will never leave you. You can be with him whenever you want, and if you trust in Christ, you'll never be left. He's faithful. He's omniscient. Another big word that means that he knows everything. Friends, feel the weight of the fact that God knows you fully, and yet he fully loves you. He loves you more than anybody ever could. And he knows all of the darkest parts. And lastly, he is making a place for you in his father's house. 
a place where you will be able to enjoy his goodness and his glory and his pleasure for the rest of eternity. Friends, last week I talked about rejecting the stories and the narratives in your life that are not this one. And if you haven't gotten there yet, I hope that you would see the happily ever after to God's story and that you would see Jesus clearly and that you would believe upon him for salvation and that you would become so consumed by the beauty of this story that you can do nothing but step into it and fall deeper in love with Jesus because he is the only way to this ending. Jesus is the only way to this ending. So let's pray for that. God, I pray right now that the students in this room who have not bought into your story, that they would see how it ends and that they would be overwhelmed by your glory. God, the glory of this passage is that you will be with us. That a world where you are fully present and sin is completely gone is coming. And that is the new that you are bringing. God, we can trust and hope in the new right now here today. God, I just, I pray that you would be stirring in these students' hearts a love for you that causes them to worship you from an imperfect place where there are tears and where there is pain and where there is suffering so that one day when you wipe it all away, we will have already been worshiping you the same. We will have already partaken in that glory in this earth. And we will have already displayed your glory to the rest of the world so that you will continue to redeem it and you will call all of your people to you and then you will come back and we will get to this moment because it is real and it is coming. God, we are your bride. You are our groom. God, you love us so much more than we could ever be loved by anyone else, God, and show us that. You're faithful. Amen.